Welcome back to Ethically Sourced. Uh, today, I'm so privileged to be speaking with Dr. Kevin Simon. Good to have him back on the show. Yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> it's good to be back. Didn't think I'd be back so soon. Yeah. We're, we're, this week, we're going to be talking about a, a pretty uh, challenging topic, but one that is timely, one that's relevant, and one that affects a large percentage of the population, both uh, inside and outside of healthcare. We're going to be talking about sexual harassment, sexual misconduct in the healthcare workforce. Yeah, you know, this is very timely. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of um, <clears throat> there are a lot of cases, both nationally and then I'm sure locally for myself, locally for yourself, where we know, um, you know, people that are on both sides um, of a circumstance related to sexual misconduct, um, and it, and you know in in our training, it's actually something that is touched on. Um, you know, we, I'm sure in residency and in fellowship, we all attend, you know, some kind of didactic or session about, um, you know, inappropriate um, language. Um, right. And relationships. But it's, it's really not, I don't think it's, it's I don't think it's, it hits the mainstream enough unless something bad is happening. Yeah, yeah. I think once something bad happens, then everybody doubles down, and it's it's damage control. But I think it's something that we should really be proactive about in teaching. You know, starting in medical school, or I mean, a lot of stuff starts at home, to be honest. But in the professional world, we've got to be more proactive about getting rid of this uh, culture. Yeah, no, you know, it's it definitely does start at home, but but yeah, in 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 terms of the professional nature, I think you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of um, Systems that are still in place where hierarchy is, is is an issue, and anytime that there's this hierarchy, hierarchical nature um, in environments, you know, people that are um, in positions of power tend to at times, you know, abuse that power. Um, so it, it is something that we definitely. I, I'm looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have um, today. Yeah. Well, let's start with uh, the past and how we got here. Right? There's a perception within medicine especially, and it's perpetrated by different platforms and the media. I have on my bookshelf, House of God. Um, I hadn't read this really until I was halfway through residency, but it's a, a book that's on the back of the book. They say this is one of the first unglorified, uncensored portraits of what training is to become a doctor. It's been hailed as one of the most important medical novels ever written. So I read this, I started reading this as a, as a resident. And I, have you read this book, Kevin? Yes, I have. I have. I was honestly taken aback and appalled at the um, overt sexuality in the book, the misogyny, the, the culture that is perpetrated, the way they describe the nurses and other female physicians and staff. And I was just kind of horrified that this was the, a book that had been encouraged and, and lauded by so many people. Right. So, you know, if, if, you, if you think about the, who's the author of the book, what is his position in, in general society, you know, the book is written from, I mean, the author himself is a male, right? Um, and so I think it is written from the lens of who is the doctor, and so the stereotypes that are that are written in it, and also this is, you know, this is not, we should look this up, actually. Um, in terms of the publication date, right, it's not the 2000s. We're talking about a time that that's way predates, you know, Me Too movement. And so that's what was 
normalized at that time. You know, I think if we look at when the book was published. So, was so I'm looking at it uh, right now. 1978 was the initial copyright. Right. So 1978. And if we think about the larger cultural context at that time, right? So we're, we're talking about on the back of civil rights movement was the women's room, women's rights movement, right? And so that's that's ripe in the 70s. And so I think when you read some of the text of the book and you hear, or I should say, read how women are described, um, it's not it's it's not surprising. Um, how they're described at that time, because obviously that book could not be written today in in the same way. And uh, on top of that, you have the practice of medicine, like you mentioned, uh, male, uh, predominantly male filled. Um, I think it, is it still um, predominantly male? Yeah. So, so what's shifting now is medical schools. And so I think the, one of the last double AMC reports that I'd read, women were, 50-50 is not a little bit ahead of men in terms of um, entering medical school, Um, but but in terms of practicing physicians, you know, for for the vast majority of fields, maybe even except OB-GYN, which only shifted um, maybe the last two decades, most fields are um, overpopulated with men. Yeah, so we have this history of paternalism, both in medical practice as well as on the administrative and, and the practice side of medicine, and that's been able to perpetuate this uh, culture. I mean, the culture thrived back in the day, and fortunately, we're starting to make some progress in this area. There's still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Yeah, you know, even <clears throat> thinking about other other mediums that highlight medicine. Um, so House of God, that's, you know, that's a narrative. You have Grey's Anatomy, um, you know, which is, someone's going to correct me, but like season 22 or 23 or something, um, <laughs> that, you know, when it first started and, and up until it, this part of last season, you know, a lot of the dialogue and visual imagery is of certain types of relationships, sexual relationships that are happening in the hospital. And, you know, the dynamics of resident versus attending or resident, you know, attending to, to resident, resident to medical student, medical student attending. And so, again, it, it, it shows up time and time again that relationships are difficult to navigate, at least, again, in, in the healthcare professional field. And this is why it's really critical that we talk about these things in training and beyond. It can be very difficult to know how to approach someone depending on where where you are at the time you're present in the hospital or, or in the clinic, right? Again, medical training versus, you know, early career versus in residency versus medical student, um, it, it, it does make it very challenging. We can uh, fast forward to the present and talk about reality. For me, I see these uh, sexual harassments and assaults and misconduct kind of in a, they happen kind of like racism or microaggressions and the fact that you don't walk in to the hospital expecting to be called outside your name. Um, You don't walk into the hospital expecting to be 
uh, assaulted or, or talked to inappropriately. And when the situations happen, you know, you have a perpetrator, you have a victim, sometimes you have witnesses. And a lot of the times, you know, people are kind of shocked or um, don't necessarily know what to do in these situations. Right. You know, and, and to that point, <laughs> no, yeah, no one, no one certainly walks into to, to work assuming that that's going to happen to them. And because again, the, the dynamics of power, if you, if you're a recipient of a questionable comment, who do you go to if that person is someone more senior than you? Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes I think that happens. I, I can tell you a, a personal example of someone who came to me to say this happened Kevin, I'm not like lying to you, and I, and I believe the person it was a female, and I wasn't even sure like whom the person should go to, and they weren't sure hmm. either, right? Like, and and we were both knowledgeable of the system, but you know where that person, where the perpetrator was in terms of hierarchy, um, we eventually did uh, reach out to you know again programmatic um, players uh, in the hospital system that we were in. But it it becomes something of mental gymnastics because you're just like, wait a minute, I'm I'm on a rotation. This person's maybe going to write a letter for me, and so it, it can become really challenging in, in in these training situations. And then when you when we get outside of training, I think, you know, again, what what's allowed in the culture versus what's not allowed. So again, for rotation, what what does that really mean? And and I see how these circumstances happen, and I suspect that oftentimes when someone is told, you know, I didn't appreciate that comment you told me, the person who maybe made the comment didn't even know that they made the comment and that it was perceived that way. I think that's the other, um, you know, unique challenge to dynamics of I say a comment and the, the recipient here's the comment differently than what it may have been intended to be. Um, I, I think that's something that you often hear in these kind of dynamics. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you'd ever witnessed any of these, because I, I will say I saw, I've seen a couple, I've heard some stories when I was in training, like there was an old attending that was no longer with the practice, but especially in anesthesia, it's kind of a breeding ground for, well, it's, it, you know, anywhere that the trainees are isolated and these events can occur so, you know, with intubations, when you're learning how to intubate, sometimes, you know, there's it's almost like, you know, teaching somebody to play pool or tennis where you can creep up behind them. And allegedly there was a, an a attending who would, you know, use that time to kind of rub up on the female residents. Um, person was long gone by the time I made it to residency, but those stories remain. Right. If we ask a lot of people, male, female, if they've heard of or known or seen, more likely than not, greater than 50% of the people that we're talking about healthcare specifically have seen these kind of instances happen. And, you know, to your point about like the microaggressions, right? If, if we, if we parallel that, it can be, right? So, so the operating room, you're, you're, someone's like creeping up behind you. That's one, right? But then there's, the you know i don't team huddle or rounding or 
sleights of hands um, in, in terms of, you know, again, pre-COVID, you know, ho- placing your hand on someone's back. There, there's a lot of subtle things that, that can happen that I think, you know, the white coat, um, if we're talking about physicians specifically, again, this, this, this power dynamic that occurs and truly people not really knowing, okay, who do I go to when it's like the head honcho supposedly of, of the division of the unit making, making, you know, this crass remark or, or touching me inappropriately. And I think, you know, there are cases that have occurred more recently where it, it's, it can be even in times of I'm outwardly acknowledging that something has happened to me and still yet the the way that these systems work is really hard to be a person who's who has had something happen to them feel empowered to navigate the system for themselves. Um, it, it, it really is a, a, a challenging situation that, that people find themselves in. Yeah, to the point you made earlier, and, and my point, not knowing where to turn. So in reading up for our discussion, I looked up, I remember this being referenced, Title IX. I didn't really know what Title IX was. I knew it had to do with, like, I think of sports teams and, and athletes. But it's Title IX deals with uh, its uh, educational amendment, and it protects people from discrimination based on sex and educational programs or activities that receive federal financial assistance. And basically, this is the governing body for people that are victimized um, because these residency programs are receiving federal money, from my understanding. And, and you know, if I'm, I'm wrong, please correct me, send me an email, send me a message or whatever. But under this Title IX protections, that is the ultimate avenue to file complaints. You can go online, the Department of Education or Google Title IX, and it has a... Um, rubric for how you can report these instances of, of sexual assault or or whatever the case may be. Um, so that's that's one way. You know, obviously, ideally, within your department, there should be somebody, I believe there's um, mandatory reporters and other resources to use at each individual residency program or school or wherever you happen to be. But if you don't feel comfortable going to anybody at your immediate work area, you can always go online and fill, file this report. The caveat being, usually it says these complaints must be filed within 180 days of the last act of discrimination. And I think even that, the, the fact that we're highlighting it, um, is important because, again, you know, oftentimes the moment of the act, much like a microaggression, the moment you you may or may not recognize it as inappropriate and it might be you know you have a conversation with a colleague or you have a conversation with a friend and you're like you know this thing happened and someone might have to say like that's not that's not okay right right and so the the same, the same case uh for me and and and, and my friend I tell I was like I don't think that's I don't think that's kosher, and that's when we really kind of you know up the ante in terms of like okay, well, what are we going to do about this? And so that point about you know it has to be within you know several months of of the last act. I think a lot of times when things are traumatic, you, you may not you may not realize wait I have a, a space to go to or even want to process it. You know, as I'm thinking about this in, in terms of acts that are kind of heinous. So within within my field of 
substance use. Um, there are a lot of people who I meet who, in in the context of drinking alcohol, and you know, oftentimes they can there can be depending on how much you drink, this like blackout phase, which is i.e. the the hippocampus just basically turning off and saying you're not going to make any more memories right now, mm. but your body's still moving, right? And I think this is where it gets really tricky in that the limbic system's still going, so you're you're walking, uh, you're talking, you're responding, and this is that the when the hippocampus is off that next morning, you're like, how did I get back here? Right, and there are a lot of scenarios where, in that phase, and this this goes back to the whole he says she says, you know, suggestive court cases where, specific to alcohol consumption, there are times where, folks who have had something bad happen to them, will not know and need corroboration, right? And so this again, back to the friends, need a friend to say no, like this happened to you, Kevin, or this happened to you, Stephen. And even in normal workplace environment, I think this is where the culture of having, you know, trusted colleagues is very important because you have to be able to have someone to talk to, uh, to say, you know, this person did this thing to me, or this person did that thing to me. You know, what are your thoughts? And and hopefully, Folks have enough, you know, trusted friends where they can say, yeah, yeah, that's that's not okay. I think oftentimes we should be able to just on our own accord um, be able to navigate these systems. But sometimes, you know, it, it's pretty difficult to, to navigate even when you're, you know, again, in the field. But again, depending on where you are on that ladder of hierarchy, um, it, could, it can be very difficult. Let's, uh, let's get more specific. I think the – we know – the egregious, right? We were talking earlier about um, this physician, Dr. Newman, who was in New York, who legitimately sexually assaulted um, patients, multiple patients in the emergency department. Fortunately, he was brought to justice. Um, and he actually, we we're talking earlier, he's a, uh, well, he only got two years in, in jail, I think was the ultimate outcome. But that's egregious, right? Sexually assaulted somebody. What about the gray area. I think that's where a lot of folks have trouble and struggle with. Even before the, the, the gray area piece, right? The reason that Dr. Newman was was brought to justice was there was a patient who was in the semi-conscious state, you know, anesthesia, you guys. Kind of, oh, you know, oh, 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 hey, man. You got nothing to do with this. <laughs> no, no, no. no you, you didn't have anything to do. What I'm saying is she, it, she was under medication, and as she was coming out, she she recognized, wait, something's happening here. So, so yes, no, I, I apologize to all anesthesiologists. You guys, an awesome job. Um, you know, she happened to be a woman of color, and took it took a lot of unfortunate uh, investigation in order for him to get brought to justice. And I think one of the things that we can't dismiss is who is saying, you know, they've been violated. Because I think oftentimes, unfortunately, um, depending on the victim, the, who, who we're calling victim or, or those that were violated, they can feel, you know, again, less empowered depending on what's their gender, what's their demographic. So I just think that that's something important to mention as we're well, talking yeah, here. It's, it's, um, but yeah. I mean, specifically because women of color are the most, one of the most, probably the most vilified or, or victimized groups in our society. Right, right. So again, again, our, our like work, 
field environment is such that these things can happen. And, you know, this becomes an argument, right? Does the worst thing that a person does, does that, quote, unquote, cancel? Does that cancel their career? I think this is beyond, this is beyond the, the, the scope of our, our episode here, but it is something like, can, can someone come back from that? And, and his was specifically to a patient, yeah. right, to multiple patients. So I, you know, I think I think this is this is right for um, you know further discussion. But it really is one where we definitely have to continuously have these conversations, so that way these things don't happen as often as they do, unfortunately. So when it comes to navigating these gray areas, right? We know the black and white, what is and what is not sexual harassment. But how do we navigate those gray areas of um, interpersonal relationships at work? So I think this is where. Personal space. So a couple of things I think are were formerly gray areas that I think just need to be very black and white. Not touching people is like a black and white, <laughs> a very yeah. black and white thing. Like the whole idea of personal space. And I will even say from my own, from my own experience, there was someone same gender as me, right? Same gender as me who I patted on the shoulder but the person felt uncomfortable. And so, you know, some number of weeks later, I'm asked about like an incident. I'm like, an incident? What happened? And they're like, oh, you know, hey, you, you know, did you like say hi to someone? And they relayed what I knew. I was like, oh, oh yeah, no. Like, you know, I was just saying hi, right? But again, it's not about what my perception was. It was what's the perception of the other person. So I think it's, it's very important um, when, we're having these kinds of conversations or we're talking to trainees or talking to mentees is you cannot, you know, invade someone's personal space and personal space includes like telephone, meaning, you know, text messaging people, right? You can't invade that space unless someone overtly invites you into their space. Right. And in terms of overtly inviting someone into that space, right, there's always like an appropriate place and context for that, right? Ideally, you know, if I see my wife in the hospital, yeah, I'm going to give her a kiss, right? She, you know, we're married. I think there is, there is certain protective spaces for people. And one, their personal space, you shouldn't touch anyone unless they, they again, have overtly invited you into that space. And then the, the phone, the phone piece, Right. You know, I, I think we had probably talked about this never in the history of a phone <laughs> has it been ever appropriate to send certain pictures in the phone. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's not it's just not ideal. I, I agree completely. I think and to get at what you're referencing in terms of like public displays of affection, I think a lot of times what it comes down to for me is the newspaper headline test. So in this is true for a lot of medical <laughs> ethics. So if what you did was in the front page of the New York Times, would you be okay with it? So if you got called to the office for uh, kissing your wife at the hospital, you know, that, that would be a fairly benign conversation. Right. So that, that's one way to start framing stuff. So number one, um, yeah, hands off. I, I work, I don't touch. I have a couple really good friends hang out outside of work, coworkers that I intentionally touched this person's shoulder like uh, a couple weeks ago. Otherwise, I do not touch anybody at work. Ironically, two of my coworkers um, 
like one like casually touched my shoulder and I was like, whoa, like this, this is, this is weird. Cause I am so, um, I, I don't touch anybody at work. I think one thing that helps trainees it needs to be said, don't, don't fall for the trap of a uh, double entendres. Did I say that right? I don't know. Non parlevo français. Entendre, right? <laughs> it is a double entendre, yes. Don't yes. do it. Don't do it. You know, I, I'm sure some people will listen to this and say, and who are these guys? They're, you know, so PC, but but it it it's right, right? Like, would you want that on the front page paper? And I think this also in terms of talking about racial differences, right? I'm a 6'3 black guy. It, it is just, it is different. It is different when I do something versus someone else. Yeah. And even in, I remember even in training, in, in, in medical school, I'm on my ob rotation, and I legitimately am standing at the doorway, and there's a nurse who is changing the IV line, right? And I, and I had learned it like, oh, you know, it's buzzing. The, the, the person would like it changed and I'm just watching, literally just from the door watching. Two days later, Stephen, I'm in the clerkship director's office and told, oh, you know, did, did you intimidate someone? I was like, what? intimidate someone? And if, if most people know me, they're like, that is not intimidating. But my presence, who I look like, what I look like, that definitely had a, that definitely had a play in the interaction that the nurse who happened to be a female because they're male nurses perceived of me. Right. And so this is subtly different than obviously, you know, a misconduct, but definitely when, when, when you're a male of color, the, the whole thing that we're talking about gray area, like truly black and white, like do not touch people that like that is, that has to be, you know, one of the tenets of when you're moving in the space of healthcare and, and just generally workplace environment, you know, our culture is not yet at a place where these subtle nuances are allowed to be nuances. And so for myself, just like you, you're like, hey, you know, I, I don't, it felt weird to have, for someone to pat me on the back. I think that's just, that, that's how we have to, particularly as black men, have, have to kind of navigate some of these environments because normal behavior that we do mm. might be misperceived. Yeah. So you know, now later on, you know, something remotely intimate, it can definitely be misconstrued. Because there is um, this, uh, there's a wide variety of people that listen to this podcast. I know most of the black males that I know are familiar with this. For people that may not be familiar, there is this trope of the angry black male or black men are intimidating over brutes or talking at a normal volume is perceived as yelling or the, the whole King Kong kind of trope. And it's something that permeates society, if not in an overt way, in a subconscious kind of implicit bias way that it's there that you never know when that's going to trigger somebody else. And like you mentioned, you're going to be perceived as something that you're not. There, there was a, to, to bring it to recent, Times. A couple of years ago, LeBron James had yeah. um, a cover shoot where, you know, he's dribbling basketball like, like he is. And the model happens to be a white female. And immediately people are like, oh, this actually reminds me of like King Kong and, and, and Jane. And, and it's because 
again, this idea of, particularly for, for black men, and we can go back historically to Jim Crow, pre-Jim Crow, right, sexual predator, right? And so that's like subconsciously out there. So when things, misconduct happen, or there's questions about misconduct, you know, that undoubtedly is existing in the atmosphere. You know, again, the, these kind of conversations don't normally have, like, I can tell you, you know, I'm PGY6, I believe, Lost count. you know, in all of the times since intern year that I've had didactics or sessions about these, this particular topic, it generally is a very sterile conversation. Um, and, and these kind of nuances and subtleties are not necessarily um, brought up, particularly talking about race, gender. Um, so I think it's, it's good that we're you know trying to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. And going back to the black and white, like, uh, Kevin, do you know, do you know anybody that had uh, a sexual encounter at hosp- at the hospital? Oh, consensual sexual encounter at the hospital. A consensual one. Um, I I am I am aware of people who have had um, you know consensual consensual um, sexual encounters, much like you see you know like yeah. you were talking about earlier on Grey's Anatomy and those other TV shows. Yeah, I I know people that 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 have engaged in that. And again, should that be happening? It, it is. To your point, right? Like from <laughs> New York New York Times, would you be okay with that being right. known? A lot of people probably would not, but it's very different than oh, New York Times, you know, two people consensual relationship in their house. Like, well, it's their house, okay. Workplace much different, right? And, and I think that's that's the actual thing, right? It's a workplace. Yeah. But the to think, thinking about the hospital, the hospital is a, a weird, <laughs> you know, workplace, right? Most workplaces pre-pandemic, because a lot of people obviously are working from home. Most workplaces don't have a call room, right? Like most yeah. most workplaces don't say, "Oh, you can also, you can also sleep here," <laughs> right? Um, so, so I think I think that's where these kinds of things again become gray, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, I'm at work. Oh, but there's a become bed. gray. Oh, the person I am in a relationship with is here. Um, that doesn't happen at a traditional, you know, office. Um, Fair enough. Um, the point I'm making is you cannot excuse having a sexual encounter at your place of work. If you get caught, you got some planning to do, um, and you could lose your job. That is true. It, it, I mean, and, and so you know, you said if you get caught, I, I, and again, I don't, I don't ask any of the people that I know that have done this. I actually have no clue, like what would what would happen at the respective hospitals that we've trained that or been at, if in the call room, again, very, again, this is, I'm, I'm, I am open to, to hearing uh, answers here, right? What happens if you are caught in a consensual act in the call room? That is actually, that, that's an actual bet, right? But the, I think to your point, well, if you're on call, you're working, yeah. right? Right, it, we're not saying you're off of work. We're like, no, you're on call. So, in theory, most people, and we've even seen this in 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 the pandemic. If something happens, whether the Zoom is on, right, or the camera's off, sexual acts shouldn't be happening like during times of work. I, I think that's a I think that's a fairly black and white statement. 
Um, although I'm sure some. Yeah, people I say, mean, no, that's I think not true. I, I don't. I don't know that ethically. I have a problem with it if you're not like not working ethically. But you know what? You're subject to all the terms that are on that contract, right? As a resident or a fellow, you have a contract, right. and somewhere in there is the um, HR department, and so <laughs> technically. I'm sure there's a clause that in some way, shape, or form, if that was brought to the light, you could lose your job. Talking about appropriate behavior, right? Um, just like, and, and, and I appreciate that we're, we're having this conversation. I think just much like at the hospital, again, we're, and we're talking about one sphere of healthcare, but at the hospital, if you are on call or shortly after call, right, technically not quote-unquote working, um, Again, headline. Yeah. You you couldn't, you know, drink alcohol or you couldn't have, you know, marijuana. Like there's certain things you, you, you would certainly think, oh wait, this is not appropriate to do here. Um and so again, the 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 engagement in certain acts probably should not occur. Um but again, our culture, you know, house of God, you know, uh ER house <laughs> crazy anatomy right. right they kind of profile these things and so you're then in this environment like oh yeah i saw this you know and and i'm sure people don't you know one-on-one say oh yes meredith gray did this i can do it but <laughs> i can see how um people can be confused about you know what is legal versus like what's not legal, right. what, what, what's ethical what's not yeah ethical. i mean consensually it's legal ethically i i personally don't have a problem with it and I think it's, you know, if you know the risk of the behavior you're engaging with, specifically as it pertains to your job, you know, those are, I was never, I knew people that, you know, got it on in, in call rooms, but I was honestly always too afraid to lose my job. So, Kevin, the last thing that I would say is be very cognizant of hierarchy. So you've got medical students, residents, residents, attending physicians, and dating down, not to be rude, but, you know, as an attending, you know, you should not be dating somebody that you're filling out their evals or somebody that's subject to your authority because of that, that power dynamic. That's something that even residents, you know, with your medical students or junior residents, that is just never going to look good if you have to explain that. And, and that person may still under the sway of that power dynamic and it may not be fully consensual. You know, I, I do agree with that, that sentiment. And as I agree with it, I also know of people and I, I don't ever think they were in a relationship like when they were on rotation per Mm -hmm. se, but I, I do know of, and have seen, you know, resident to medical student because some, some residencies are super long. Right. And so I, I, I do now see people and have friends who are in marriages and in relationships. Um, but I think they were strategic in, you know, making sure that you're not going to be the student that's on my rotation yeah. or you're not going to be a student that's paired with me. I think that that's appropriate and ethical. And, and I think, you know, to, to this, this like ending conversation, you know, one of the things that we often hear about, or at least I've heard is some people say, oh, you know, I'm just not going to, you know, engage in, a, in any kind of relationship, like a, a consensual relationship with people at work. And on one end, I do understand how people say that because like, well, you know, I don't want to do that where I work. Um, but then at the same time, 
the other the other side is like where you work is particularly in in healthcare you meet people and you start to be around people often and and more than likely just based on proximity you're going to like people that you're around right, right? and so it's why you know med students who didn't know each other all of a sudden they they're around each other studying a lot they get in a relationship and you know by fourth year they're they're applying to you know couples <laughs> match together right, right? Or, or get engaged it's really that proximity um so i think one of the things that that you know if if we could say hey you know one of the other tenants right so there's the newspaper headline is one uh recognizing what's black and white is two you know i think another one would be things have to be consensual and that is it has to be an open clear yep. transparent conversation that you are having with someone else about the nature of the relationship and i think that's very important mm-hmm. um because innuendos double entendres it leaves when there is ambiguity it it leaves too much open and i think this is where we really have to ensure people are really having overt, intentional conversations about what's the nature of this relationship that that we are having. So that way, you know, things that are unwanted don't happen. Absolutely. I think uh, uh, you you nailed it. (laughs) You know, this was certainly an interesting conversation, much much different than our first one. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate have an opportunity to kind of think about these things and talk about these things out loud because, you know, oftentimes it's not done, particularly my two guys. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, we're going to get yeah. some uh, some messages. That we got to add uh, some some female representation, which I'm open to. Ladies, if you want to jump on and have this chat, please feel free. You know, I'm open to having these discussions with whoever. Um, and I'm so glad that Dr. Simon uh, has come back. You know, he's a psychiatrist and just spent so much time studying the human mind. I love to pick his brain uh, literally and see what he thinks about these issues. Kev, I, I totally enjoyed this conversation, and it, I thought it was interesting how it shifted from the beginning, which was obviously wrong the way uh, medicine is so paternalistic and misogynistic, to we ended up talking about the consensual relationships and aspects and what to do and not to do um, in medicine today. And I think that kind of highlights where people get into trouble, because if you're a sexual predator, you're going to listen to this pod. You probably won't listen to this podcast anyways, and you're going to be you know, doing whatever and hopefully will be brought to justice and don't have a place in medicine. However, for people that struggle because they get stuck in that gray area between what is consensual and what is not consensual and what somebody thinks is consensual but is not truly consensual to the other person, I think is where a lot of stuff starts to go sideways. I, I think that's very true. And again, this, this idea of, um, again, how we, how we communicate, I am a psychiatrist, how we communicate is very important how we relay our, our messages. Again, text messaging, conversations, right? Like if you really want to ask someone out, ask them out. Uh, it, it, it's just so in our culture, in our world, we really do have to to be very overt with things. You know, again, so that there's just no, you try to minimize risk and you try to minimize opportunities for negative consequences to happen. And I think, you know, us talking about, you know, having transparent conversations potentially could help someone uh, in terms of not being in the gray area. Because when you're in the gray area, then, you know, it, it, it is an 
unopportune space to be in. And, and so, you know, we're trying to mitigate, mitigate risk. Yeah. Here. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. I do want to shout out part of what helped start this conversation and, and Kevin jumped on, um, you know, was like, Hey, we should definitely talk about this on the show is the hashtag speak up ortho Twitter account. And I think it was started by Dr. Uh, Nancy. Uh, she's an orthopedic surgeon out West. Um, and she started this, I, I think it was her, but, but basically you go to go to speak up ortho and they're putting out um, anonymous statements and narratives from people who are victims of harassment and training. And you read some of these stories and, you know, if you think uh, Kevin and I were, were blunt, like these, these narratives really talk about what people are going through and how people are being harassed, taken advantage of during their, their training or even during their career. So I highly recommend you follow that hashtag, go support this account and open your eyes so you can see these behaviors and help get rid of these these malignant behaviors in, in medicine as well as other fields. Cool. All right, man. Um, oh, that was that was uh, 